Hello and welcome to section one, episode 28 of the LUFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. In each episode, we'll be talking to an ex-Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. Last episode, with former Leeds United youngster Tommy Narvik, someone who helped Leeds win the FA Youth Cup in 1997 and the following year became the first player in Leeds United's history to win the Young Player of the Year award beating players such as Jonathan Woodgate and Alan Smith to the end-of-season prize. However, unfortunately for Tommy, his time at Leeds wasn't as he would have hoped after his hugely successful start in his first couple of seasons at the club, because despite that award and the FA Youth Cup trophy, he only played once for Leeds' first team, and that was all because of a huge amount of bad luck for him, wasn't it, Jack? Yeah, he was was talking about uh, a load of different injuries he had quite literally back to back and um, like you said he came on against Portsmouth as a late sub and made his debut and then kind of from there it ne- things never really picked up and he didn't actually manage to play any more minutes after that and the end of that season where he did make his debut he ended up getting an injury to his leg which left him out for a long time and following that initial leg injury his first game back was against Bolton and he suffered a broken arm in that game so things really weren't worked in his favour. Although he did only play four minutes of first-team football for Leeds, on the show, Tom was saying that he was happy with his career. And, of course, rightly so, because he was a professional footballer for 17 years, which is what so many young players see as a dream. But, like we've just touched on, Jack, he was incredibly unlucky with his injuries at such a vital stage of his professional career. And without them, who knows what he could have achieved in his career? Yeah, well, all you got to do is look at the players he played with, like the likes of Woodgate and Alan Smith, who all went on to have good careers with and without Leeds. And like as well, you you, you touched on uh, he had a successful career, which which kind of stuck with me in a way because he he was saying that although people might see his career from maybe a Leeds perspective as a failure because of what happened during his time at Leeds, he was arguing the point that he personally felt like he had a successful career because he played for a number of years at a professional level, which which I found interesting really. And although I'm not of the opinion that his career was a failure, I found interesting to for his outlook on it in that he was happy and success in his words, success is down to what the individual perceives it to be whether it be 17 years in the Norwegian league or challenging for the Premier League year in year out and making an X amount of Premier League appearances so yeah I think he's spot on in that people measure success differently and end of day if you're content with what you've done in within your football career then you know so be it definitely and if you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode something which we named the story of Tommy Narvik, which is the first of the story series that we plan to do on this podcast over the next couple of months, where we speak to a lesser-known former Leeds United player, but someone who we feel has a great story to tell about their time at the club. Or, if you've missed any of our other shows, they're all available on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcast, simply by searching the LUFC Fan Zone Podcast. Just before we go into today's show, today's episode is sponsored by the Mystery Football Kit Co., so the guys over at Mystery Football Kitco have reached out to us and happily agreed to sponsor the podcast and support us as a small business ourselves. They are Leeds fans and what they are offering is a Mystery Football Kit Box. And if you're not sure what a Mystery Football Kit Box is, it's the opportunity to get your hands on a shirt you might not have got before. It's from any team, from any time, including this season as well, all over the globe. All you have to do is select your size on their website as well as any kits or colours you don't want to feature in your mystery box. So obviously you'll be selecting no red kits in that category straight away. 
and your very own mystery shirt will arrive on your doorstep and you won't know what kit you've received until you open up. All of their shirts are handpicked to each order and every item is of high quality and I must emphasise as well, genuine, brand new football shirt from either this year or any previous year from any club around the world. And because of our partnership, as well as the fact that we like to look out for our listeners, if you enter the code LUFCFANZONE at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. So make sure you head over to Mystery Football Kit Co on Instagram or www.mysteryfootballkitco.com to check them out. And make sure you add the discount code LUFCFANZONE at checkout. But on to today's show. And this week, we're joined by a former Legion United striker and a Northern Ireland legend who made 95 appearances for his country making him the fourth highest cap player for Northern Ireland. Today's guest played over 100 times for Leeds and joined the side in 2004, which was the season after Leeds got relegated from the Premier League. Leeds gave him the number nine shirt and looked to rely on his goals to return to the Premier League. And although he was the top goal scorer in two of his three seasons at Leeds in the Championship, he was unable to help the side return to the top flight and instead was part of the side who saw Leeds relegated to League One. Following the relegation, he departed for the Premier League when he was sold to Fulham for a reported £1.5 million at the start of the 2007-08 season. And although Leeds were relegated to League One for the first time in the club's history, he was a hit with the fans during his time at the club for his goals and immense work rate, not to mention his success with Northern Ireland, which still has a huge Leeds United fan base. That's right. This week, we're delighted to be joined by former Leeds United striker, David Healy. David, thank you so much for joining us. Nice to be here, guys. Thank you. No problem. And obviously, we're planning to speak about your time at Leeds, David. But just before we do, you retired as a player in 2013. And since then, you've taken up the role as a manager and been at Northern Irish side Linfield since 2015 now. So how's that going for you? And how are you enjoying the coaching side of your footballing career? Uh, to be honest, uh, it's probably surprised me that I actually got into management, uh, management so quickly. Um, I did move back to uh, Northern Ireland in 2015. Uh, I lived in England the majority of my adult life. Uh, my kids had grown up there, I got married there. Uh, so an opportunity arose where I was coming back. I'd done my coaching badges and I wanted to come back and help out the international team, uh, the under-17s, under-18s, some of the younger age groups. Uh, and basically wanted to sort of learn uh, with some of the more experienced coaches. Um, so I was over for a short period. Uh, Warren Feeney, uh, another ex-Leeds player, a uh, younger player who was manager at Linfield at the time, uh, left the role uh, to take up a position at Newport. And uh, lo and behold, three, four days later, my phone goes and it's somebody from Linfield to say if I would be interested to take the job up. Uh, spoke to my dad, who's a big Linfield supporter, and he says, you're mad if you take that job. He says, you know what the, he says, you know what the Linfield fans are like? They demand success. Um, sometimes they're uh, a wee bit overpowering at times. Certainly, the home games it can be a wee bit demanding if you're you're not sort of leading the game. Come twenty twenty five minutes into the game, he says you'd be mad if you take that. You're probably not ready. Uh, and I probably agreed with him on the phone. Uh, I went and met Linfield the day after. I met the chairman, uh, two or three of the other board of directors, and two three days later, I was named Linfield manager. And my dad couldn't believe it. He says, "What did I tell you the other night?" But <laughs> Um, it was one of them again. I, 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 growing up as a young lad, I, I used to go to watch Linfield. Um, when you come from Northern Ireland, you probably support a uh, Northern Ireland club. You support an English club, Scottish club, and then your your international team. Uh, and again, 
I went to the, the, the majority or quite a few Linfield matches when I was a kid with some of my mates and my dad. Um, and I also, I always knew that the Linfield job was, uh, it was a hard job because you basically had to be successful every single year. And if you weren't successful, you were deemed a failure. Uh, and that was part of my dad's sort of thought process when uh, the Linfield job came up. Are you sure you're ready? But to be honest, I wasn't ready. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was a good opportunity. Uh, I won my first game uh, away at a, uh, a smaller sort of ground in Warren Point. Uh, I drew my second game uh, and I thought, right, OK, we've had a decent enough start. And then we got into a month, uh, November, uh, having been named sort of two weeks previously. And we lost the four games that we had in a month, four league games. And then you start you, uh, you start reading comments and papers that uh, after the second, third week, Linfield haven't lost four league games since 1979, 1970, whatever. Uh, and then we lost the fourth game uh, in a month. And then the papers were, uh, again, Linfield haven't lost four league games in the trot since the 1900s. So basically I went in, had a, had a quick reality check um, where we were, uh, there was players in the round of the dressing room who were uh, not proven winners. Uh, and debate Linfield, you have to be a proven winner. Uh, so we quickly sort of edged a few of the uh, more call the, the the more senior players out. And you know, from there on, it's it's, it's been a success ever since. Uh, apart from probably one season where we had a really poor season, we finished fourth, didn't qualify for for Europe. And again, you know what, Linfield, that's catastrophic. You know, that's the end of the earth, sort of. Uh, you know, that can never happen. But again, we responded. And from then on, we've went one three league titles. So um, still learning on the job, still young. Uh, had the ups and the downs, as the lead song goes. <laughs> and again, sometimes I remind myself, um, you know, the ups uh, sometimes can be, you know, extremely enjoyable. But the downs can be extremely lonely at times, that's for sure. Last season, there was another link between Linfield and Leeds, as well as yourself, because at the start of the season, young Charlie Allen made the switch from Linfield to Leeds. And he's been playing for both the under-18s and the 23s at Leeds, and he looks a really good young prospect at the club after being here for less than a year. Did you play any influence in that move at all? And how well do you think Charlie will do at Leeds? Because you gave him his first-team debut at Linfield last year when he was still just 16. Um, I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't want to be out there to say I played any uh, role in his move to Leeds. Uh, but we had a conversation, of course. Uh, I knew his sort of agents and the people sort of looking after uh, Charlie. And once once we knew there was an interest in, uh, in Leeds United, straight away, obviously, the conversation then starts. This would be a, an incredible move for him, um, an opportunity to play at a, you know, a a huge institution of a football club. Um, you know, Leeds were then back in the Premier League. Uh, Bielsa was in charge. Everything seemed to be... If this had been maybe 2009, 2010, when maybe the... the, the uh, you know, it's not the Leeds of what it was then. Uh, you know, a wee bit of a mess in the ownership and uh, people were probably unsure of the future of Leeds United then. But uh, oh, oh, certainly over time... Um, Leeds have got back to, to, to where they should be. And it was an easy one to speak to Charlie. Charlie is uh, a brilliant young lad, a uh, brilliant player, um, fantastic talent. And I, I do, and I have seen quite a few of his games this year. We, um, we're we lucky enough at Linfield where we, we get the access to uh, the Y-Scout where we can see the majority of the Leeds under-23 games. Um, 
so we've kept a close eye on him. I still throw him a, a little text every now and again to make sure that he's um, working hard and uh, basically keeping his feet on the ground. We we, we, we brought his dad in, um, and his dad was a big Linfield supporter, to be fair, and so was Charlie when we were leading. And we had the conversation in the office once. Uh, the deal was agreed. I think he was going to Leeds uh, the week after uh, the the set up basically house with the uh, the people that he was going to be living with, and basically you know I give him as much information and hopefully you know he always has my number if he if he ever does need anything it doesn't look as if he he he's going down that route now where he where he does need any help, um but eventually you know the going gets tough and you know being being homesick maybe away from Northern Ireland at times can be. So I'm always there for him, but he's a brilliant young player, and, and hopefully um, in the coming seasons, I wouldn't say probably just yet at the minute, he's going to be ready, still young. Um, he's still developing in and around, you know, the coaching. Uh, he's, he's, I think he's been in the round training with the first team quite a bit with some of the other under-23s, which is it's a credit to uh, the first team manager and the rest of the staff that they want to give. Uh, and I know when they brought some of the younger players into the 23s and looking at some of their additions in, they were looking at 17, 18-year-olds, basically looking at the long term. Uh, I don't think many managers in Leeds' previous um, you know, history with the managers at the FAD have basically looked long term. It's always been a short-term project. Can we get Leeds promoted? But Bielsa and his staff, Victor Orta, who's playing a huge role in the football club at the minute, is making sure that not only um, when the manager leaves, that the, um, you know, the, the club and everything else in and around it is is in secure surroundings so uh, we wish Charlie well we hope he does well um, there's a couple of other younger players again haven't seen uh, I know I played with Richard Creswell I know his son Charlie's in and around playing um, which is great again sometimes I, I, I'm still in touch with uh, Cressy to, to see how he's doing and whatever else and just to just to see Charlie Charlie um, Charlie and my daughter were good friends I mean they were three and four and they were kids and they were growing up at Preston and growing up at um you know, when we were at the, the sort of match day. So to see young Charlie progress into the man, the size he is now, um, playing for the club that I, I know his dad loved his time at Leeds and whatever else, it gives me uh, gives me goosebumps at times when I see young Char- not only Charlie Allen that we have, but also young Charlie Creswell playing on the same team as him. We also wish Charlie the best of luck at Leeds, and I'm sure in a few years' time he will make that step up into the first team. But... Back to your time at Leeds, David, and you joined the club midway throughout the 2004-2005 season, which, for anybody who didn't know, was the year after Leeds got relegated from the Premier League. But can you remember when you first became aware of Leeds' interest in you and your initial thoughts about making the switch from Preston to Leeds? Because it was quite public at the time that you did want to move away from Preston. Yes. Um, It bore the brunt of that. You know, a few weeks later when I signed for Leeds and we had to go back to Preston, in um, one of my first games normally when you leave a club um, you're sort of given a little bit of a, a period of settling settling in where you maybe don't play your your former club and maybe until three, four, six months down the line or maybe sometimes you never play your, your former club again but it was thrown at me maybe two weeks after I'd signed for Leeds Once, well, again Leeds were so, so huge at the time and again I was a Preston and I still get a little bit of stick off the Preston fans for um uh, the way I wanted to leave. Uh, but again, you know, I've, I've been on record to say I had already made my mind up probably 12 months previously that I wanted to leave Preston. I felt I was harshly and ill-treated by the previous manager. I was sent on loan to Norwich. I didn't really want to go to Norwich. Um, but he had sort of sent me there. So I was running down the contract. The opportunity come. 
Kevin Blackwell, and a couple of probably at the time come through Paul Butler, who was a captain at Leeds at the time. And I knew um, I knew Paul from living in and around Manchester, and I knew he was close enough to Kevin Blackwell at the time. Uh, so I knew Leeds were keen and whatever else. So I had made it abundantly clear that at the time I felt my time was up with press and I'd given what I felt as, a, as if was enough. Um, and when Leeds come, to get back into the Premier League was huge for me. I knew how big Leeds United were. I grew up in Northern Ireland and Leeds fans, even the whole of Ireland, um, you know, they're all over the place. And it probably goes back, uh, there was nobody sort of supporting when I was growing up, nobody supported Arsenal and Man City. People supported Man United and Liverpool and Leeds United and maybe the odd West Ham sort of sort of supporters sort of thrown in. So to get the opportunity to play for Leeds, who I knew uh, still harboured hopes of, yeah, the club was in a wee bit of a mess financially. Uh, there was still a lot of the Premier League players on Premier League wages when I first went, uh, you know, in and around the squad and they couldn't sort of get rid of them for obvious reasons. People don't want to leave the club when they're owed money or due. Uh, still, the, the, the contract hasn't expired. Um, so to get the opportunity, you know, it was huge. Um, we played at uh, Elland Road a couple of times for, for Preston, or sorry, once uh, for Preston. Uh, and again, the Leeds fans were, I think it was in around the time, they were sort of singing my name that it was abundantly clear that Kevin Blackwell was going to come and make an offer. And thankfully, two weeks later, he did. The only unfortunate thing that year, again, was obviously the stability of the club. We did lose so, so, so many players, but Kevin and the staff and everybody at the time assured me that Leeds were going to have a right push for promotion the year after once we got the initial first year out of the way, um, which was great for me. So um, the only disappointing thing was the year after when everything was in place for us to get promotion. Uh, we f we basically fell at the last hurdle to get Leeds back into the Premier League where they should have been. I know 20, 2020 was a huge year for Leeds getting back promoted. But I think if we had a if we had done it right and certain things might have been different on the day when we played Watford, Leeds could have been in back in the Premier League in 2000, 2005, 2000, sorry, 2006, 2007. Not only were Leeds competing in the second tier for the first time in 14 years, but as well, the relegation from the previous year meant that the club was in a bad position off the pitch, like you touched on, and was in reported debts of up to £100 million. So, obviously everybody was aware of it, but were you aware at the time to the extent of how bad Leeds' financial situation was? Because it's worth adding as well, you were one of the few players Leeds signed that season who they actually paid money for. Yeah, I think it was... Uh... I think there was some figures thrown about that year. I don't know what happened. That uh, there was allegedly I signed for seven hundred fifty thousand pound or whatever. I was told it was less, and then I found out later on it was possibly more than the seven hundred. So again, it was in around the time where there was a wee bit of uncertainty uh, what was going on. Uh, and again, for me, um, I can remember sort of people saying at the time, "Well, you need to be careful going to Leeds because they're." What 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 do you get advice from from other people on the one where I mentioned there about my dad sort of saying you need to be careful going? Uh, it wasn't my dad. I'd sort of agents and other people saying, well, Leeds aren't really in a uh, an even keel here at the minute. You need to be careful that you go there. It's all right saying you want to play Premier League football and you want to get Leeds promoted, but further down the line there's going to be a wee bit of you know financial mess to be picking up. I wasn't aware it was going to be a hundred million pound in debt it's worth, and I don't think anybody who signed at the time. Because Leeds did sign at the time 
quite a lot of out of contract players because they didn't have the money at the start of the season. I can remember there was probably probably up to fifteen new players along with uh Lucas Radaby, who was still there, I think he was injured at the time. Maybe Michael Jewbury, Seth Johnson, Eric Baca, uh Gary Kelly. So there was probably a mix of maybe six, seven of the lads who were on Premier League wages mucked in with lads who I think Kevin Blackwell and Leeds basically plucked from the Championship in League One to try and get a team together. But again, having met with Kevin and met with Leeds, they uh, they assured me that everything's in a great place here. Don't worry. Don't believe all the debt that uh, everybody else is saying that we're in. We will get promoted next year. And even with all the uncertainty and the debt and whatever else, we still should have got promoted to the Premier League the uh, the year after I went there. When you did join the club, you missed the first chunk of that season because the move was completed in October, which yeah. wouldn't be able to happen today because of the transfer window. But you made your Leeds United debut against Wigan Athletic at Ellen Road, who at the time were the top of the championship. And you started that match just two days after your move to Leeds was announced. Yeah. But what can you remember about that match and walking out for the first time to make your Leeds United debut at Ellen Road? Uh, I still remember, as I mentioned before, the uh, the anthem being played beforehand, uh, walking out, the hairs of my, the back of my neck standing up. I I felt as if I had arrived. Uh, again, having been at Man United as a kid, I never really uh, went and played and never had the opportunity. So for me, yes, Preston was great, and I I, I loved my time there uh, and met a lot of fantastic lads and everything else. But getting to Leeds was me personally. Uh, it was getting to the place where I wanted to get to. I felt that. Leeds were a Premier League club, even though in the Championship and huge amounts of debt. But I always felt that, uh, you know, I could sort of try and help, or I wanted to help. I wanted to put the performances and score the goals that eventually got Leeds promoted because I wanted to be that sort of, I didn't say greedy or selfish, but I wanted to sort of be one of them players to get Leeds promoted again. Uh, so walking out the Wigan game, what I can remember about the game is that um, I think I was very poor. Uh, I can't even remember whether I was substituted later, later, later on in the game. I probably was. Um, but it was one of them. I don't know whether maybe the, the, the whole emotion in the day maybe got the better of me. Uh, I had good records in some of my other previous clubs and internationally I've scored in my debut. So maybe I was putting a little bit of extra pressure on myself to want to score. Uh, and again, at the time, you know, we had over 30,000 at Leeds at the time. Uh, the atmosphere was incredible. Wigan were a good side. You know, they had... Uh, you know, Leighton Baines and, and Jimmy Bullard and Lee McCulloch, all established sort of championship players. So we were right up against it then. Uh, but again, uh, whatever else that I can take out of the game was, I know I didn't have my best game and probably thankfully improved because I didn't want some of the Leeds fans singing the time. We were singing this boy's name two weeks ago, wanting them to sign. And then probably as I was being replaced, they were probably thinking, well, that was a wee bit of a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully going forward my performance has improved and I started scoring a few goals yeah like you said you didn't manage to find the net in your first game for Leeds however yeah. in your first away game for Leeds which was two games later you scored your first two goals for the club and it was at Deepdale against Preston what was it like to score your first goals so early into your Leeds career because you were the club's new number nine so that might have carried a bit of pressure with it and especially at Preston, because that was the club that you left and the rumours about how you left and yeah. the way you left. Yes. Uh, again, I always remember that day going back because, uh, again, I'd been at Preston for uh, the previous seasons. 
uh, and Preston as a supporter base and groups, uh, supporter groups, they were always sort of uh, a little bit milder and a wee bit more mellow um, and always sort of welcomed the uh, away team buses and away team sort of opposition, whatever else, with a wee bit more of uh, a courtesy. Um, but I also, I always remember pulling in uh, and we had Sean, we, at the time we had Sean Gregan playing and bear in mind Sean Gregan had also left uh, to come to play for Leeds. Sean was the captain of uh, Leeds United. Or sorry, Sean was the captain of Preston at the time. He left. He wanted to come. And I always sort of remember at the time that I think me and him were joking, who's going to get the most stick <laughs> and who's going to get the most sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the warmest of welcomes. And I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, it's definitely going to be you because you were here longer. They loved you more. You were the captain. So I felt sort of confident and comfortable that I might have got sort of off because he was playing. So the bus pulls in at Deepdale. Uh, normally there's maybe five or six maybe autograph hunters or whatever else knocking about. Uh, we pull in and there's a crowd of about 250 kids and 250 people basically waiting for the Leeds bus to approach. Um, and I'm sort of looking out. I think Paul Butler says at the time, they're here for you. And I'm shouting down, they're not here for me, they're here for Gregan. Uh, so we get off the bus. Uh, Gregan gets off uh, probably before me. Uh, to a rapturous round of applause and welcome back, Sean. And I'm sort of waiting, I'm thinking, I'm biding my time thinking, right, okay, they're obviously here to see me then. So I get off and um, as funny or not funny as it is, I get off to uh, uh, the, not not the kindest words, not the kindest welcome, um, Judas says, Judas out and whatever else. And I always felt a wee bit disappointed by that. I understood um, their disappointment I'd left. Um and I could understand sort of being back so soon. It was an easy one to sort of have a pop at. So we go down and the warm up the game. And again, you know, they call out the uh, the opposition teams, which was us at the time. And they call out, and, you know, big warm welcome back to uh, our former <laughs> captain, Sean Gregan. And the home crowd are like cheering. And then it comes to, and let's welcome back uh, number nine for Leeds United, David Healy. And the whole sort of ground. And again, Sometimes in the warm-up, the majority of supporters stay outside, they eat the pies, they catch up, they go to the pubs. They probably take the time sort of getting into the ground. But we're out doing the warm-up at sort of 20 past two, 25 past two. And the ground's basically nearly three quarters sort of full with Preston fans. And again, I get a hostile reception, not the kindest of words, uh, which again fired me up at the time. Uh, and I know when I scored, I ended up getting a, I ended up getting a warning off the FA because I celebrated at the, uh, the away end. The Leeds supporters were uh, at the bottom end where I didn't score. Uh, I well, probably thankfully for me because if I had a scored into the Leeds fans, I probably would have got a yellow card for jumping into the away end. Um, but but I ended up getting an FA warning anyway for sliding in my knees and celebrating in front of the Preston fans. So uh, I scored my debut goal and I think I don't know how long it was after and the score too. But more importantly for me, as you say, with the pressures, you're number nine at Leeds United. Score a few goals. Uh, it was important for me to get off to a good start and hopefully to sort of to, to, to realise then because, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of, of time to feel welcome in the dressing room. You have to come in and play well and score goals. And probably from then on, you always sort of feel welcome then because the players realise this guy mightn't be a bad player. Uh, we'll look after him and make sure we put our arm around him, especially that day because at times I did need the arm around me because some of the... Uh, some of the wording and some of the songs weren't very kind, that's for sure. 
that game at Preston was your first win in the Leeds United shirt. However, it was off the field problems which were making the news with Leeds. And just a couple of months after you joined Leeds, there was a change of ownership at the club with the arrival of Ken Bates, who purchased the club famously for just £1 and effectively saved the club from administration and the club going bust. What was that yeah. transition like for you as a player? Because if that deal wasn't to happen, there was a strong possibility that Leeds United would have ceased to exist. Uh, it was quite easy as a player because, again, you know, um, as a player, you try and sort of take your mind off uh, a lot of the other things that are going on outside. Uh, we were sort of made aware that there was going to be a, a a small change in the ownership and whatever else, which wasn't going to mean too much for the players. Uh, and again, when I've recently just joined the club, you're sort of thinking, maybe I should have took some of these other guys maybe advice on maybe Leeds were a bit of a basket case club at the time uh, maybe it would have been wise for me to stay at Preston or go to another club who would have been financially sort of uh, sustainable or, 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 or suitable but again you know the whole the whole drive for me to go to Leeds was to, to give myself the best opportunity of playing in the Premier League again uh, I felt that was going to be the case at Leeds um, as a player as you say and I'm sure nowadays the, the, the players majority of the time is based on the training pitch and the games and the concentration levels that they have to sort of put in and the professionalism now. To, so you try and stay away from some of the uh, the scaremongering and some of the stories and some of the things that are going on behind with the board and Ken Bates had bought it for a pound and I'm thinking, well, if I had knew that, I would have put an offer in myself for a pound. <laughs> but, you know, and I was some of the joking and around at the time of the boys are thinking, well, you know, but we weren't sort of aware at the time that he still had to take on uh, some of the debt and whatever else the dangers then of some of the people at Thor Barge and Ellen's Road and the people who were working there that these guys would have been out of work if sort of Ken hadn't come in at the time so it gave us a wee bit more of a, a sustainability and me personally uh, and my mind a wee bit more hope that what I signed up for was still going to be possible the year after uh, and I know we brought in some of the players and he, he, he did spend some of the money Ultimately, in the end, it didn't work out for either Ken or us at the time. And, uh, you know, the uh, the changes were due to happen when uh, the relegation happened. Yeah, and like you said, you just touched on that relegation there. And as well as a possible administration for Leeds, the side were dangerously close to the relegation places when Ken Bates took over at the time. But at that time, did you ever feel like a second successive relegation could have been a real possibility for Leeds? Because at the time, it felt like everything seemed to be going wrong for Leeds, whether it be on the field with results or off-field problems. Uh, not really, no. Again, when you, looked at, when you looked at the squad of players that we had, and I'm sure it was the same for uh, the staff and the supporters when Leeds were relegated initially from uh, the Premier League, you know, you look around the dressing room. When I was looking at the, around the dressing room and seeing the uh, the caliber of players we had, the type of players we had, um, the quality of players that we were seeing and training on a daily basis, I couldn't foresee and I didn't foresee. Also, I always felt, don't worry, we'll get ourselves on a run here. Uh, we'll start improving. We'll pick up the points when we we need to. Uh, there was still a togetherness between you know the, the the players and the staff, and we always felt that we could get out of it and. But the longer it went, and the, some of the poor performances led to poor results. Um, and it gets to the stage where it's getting to the end of the season. You're sort of thinking, well, give us a few bad performances here, but we'll take some results along the way. And we were basically having poor performances and sometimes poor results. 
which again then ultimately at the end then leads to the demise, the disappointments, the relegation. Um, and one for me, and I've talked about this before, I was captain on the day when we were relegated uh, against Ipswich. Um, and again, for whatever reason, I know Dennis, who, Dennis Wise, the manager at the time, uh, there was a wee bit of things going on in the background. Jonathan Douglas had been captain. Gary Kelly had been captain. Paul Butler previously had been captain. And um, for whatever reason, Dennis picked me for the last mm. six or seven games. Uh, there was a little bit of fallout with some of the other players. They weren't going to be involved. Dennis assured me that I would play the remaining games. He wanted me to captain the team. Well, that meant that I was carrying the can as a captain. But I always thought, even to this day, when I look back and when I see, and I'll never forget the, the horrible feeling when we played Ipswich. Uh, and I know the fans sort of ran onto the pitch after and whatever else when the, the game hadn't finished. Um, and I actually done my coaching course uh, a number of years ago with Alan Lee who scored the equaliser that day. I think he scored the equaliser in about the 86th minute. And uh, when I was uh, when I did see him again, I, I, I felt like putting him in the, uh, in the nuts to sort of say, that's for you, you cost us the relegation. Whether we would have stayed up or not, but I felt horrible. I was the captain at the time. I felt privileged and proud, to be honest, to manage, even though we were in uh, a mess on the pitch, we were in a mess off the pitch. I still, I, I still took that sort of as a little bit of dent in, in, in my pride that I was a captain on the day that we eventually got relegated on road. And I still sort of look back and if anybody sort of says, if you know, about having regrets, you have sort of small regrets along the way. Um, but I wish I could have done a little bit more. Uh, I probably should have been better that season along with, I should have performed better along with, I couldn't even say anybody that year had sort of had a good season. So we underperformed. Uh, we were relegated and from then on the club uh, I think we went straight into administration the day after or the week later when when relegation was basically uh, I think the Ipswich game gave us uh, you know no chance of staying up uh, the, pre- the, the the last game of the season when we were relegated and straight away into administration so um, that was a disappointing thing for me certainly with the pride and I always sort of felt this anytime I wanted to play for Leeds uh, I always I might not play my best all the time, but I always felt, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of an air of pride every time I pulled on the lead shirt. Just fast forward into the start of the 2005-06 season, because that was your first pre-season at the club. Yeah. And although there was a lot of new additions, which you mentioned earlier, which generated some positivity within the fans, the first game of the season was at home to Millwall. And usually on the opening game of the season, it's one where the fans get excited and get behind the team. However, the attendance at Ellen Road that day was just over 20,000, which was 10,000 less than all of the crowds in the previous yeah. season, which were watching the mid-table leads, never mind the never mind the, um, the side which got all the positivity behind it. So did that have any impact on you with the lower attendances? Because although Ken Bates might have been a reason for that, it must have had some sort of effect on the players. Uh, to be honest, no. I, 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 again, you know, whether there's... You know, sort of thirty thousand, twenty five, uh, and as I say, I think there was reasons in the round. I think there was a little bit of a, a fan boycott going on for whatever reason. Obviously, Ken had taken over. He had obviously previous with Chelsea, who I know Leeds and Chelsea's history going back. There was there was never going to be sort of any love loss with Ken sort of coming in. Um, but I think the attendance sort of started improving after that. I was down to the players then at the time that we had to try and attract. We had to play better football. Um, and again, beating Millwall 
think I think I scored twice that day and we won through I think I scored a penalty later on very early in the game and then a penalty later on in the game and then that was as I say this is what I signed up for to get Leeds United back and promoted so yes I think we were aware at the time that there was 20,000 at the game even though the previous season when I first went every single game right up until the end of the season it was 30 plus um, you know the three sides of the ground and the main stand uh, you know they were always sort of full so it was probably one where we at the time understood sort of where we were with the, the, the lead supporters, but we had to then get the buy-in from them again. And I think eventually we did that season because we went on decent runs uh, along the way. And one thing that always stood out for me, and it's still obviously not at the minute because uh, there's no spectators at any home or away grounds, that any away game that we ever had, and I used sometimes my father-in-law who uh, lived in Manchester at the time, a good good mate who lived in Manchester, um they always wanted to go to the Leeds away games and the tickets were always hard to come by. And I used to think, well, how, you know, you're playing down in uh, Colchester, you're playing down in Southampton, you're sort of thinking, well, how, surely all the Leeds fans aren't going. And then sometimes you realise, we used to get sort of invites and cards and uh, little thank you messages at times from, you know, South East England, Southampton supporters clubs, New Hampshire supporters clubs. And then you sort of realise again, not only were Northern Ireland huge, or sorry, Leeds at the time was huge in Northern Ireland and Ireland as a whole, but Leeds had supporters clubs down in the the, the the strangest places in England. It's not just Leeds and Bradford and sort of in and around Yorkshire. And it's one thing you can always guarantee with Leeds, anytime we ever travelled um, for an away game, whether it was a big away game or whether it was some of the... And I think sometimes even at the time, the Leeds supporters enjoyed probably the the grounds where they hadn't been, they'd been in the Premier League for that long. <laughs> Going to places like Southend and Colchester, uh, although not the most glamorous, you know, of sort of places, they probably enjoyed it more because we were probably ticking off things, grounds and places where they were probably never thinking they were ever going to visit. By January, not only were you yeah. on seven goals, which was the same amount you scored in the previous season, and although you did join the club late, but... Leeds' form was completely different to the season before, and at the start of 2006, the side were battling at the top of the championship as opposed to fighting relegation 12 months before that. So, if you were to compare them two seasons, what do you think changed for Leeds that season to have that dramatic change of form? Um, Again, I think it was uh, recruitment at the time, and I know when Leeds got relegated initially from the uh, the Premier League, I think it was basically they had to get players signed. It basically didn't... I don't think it mattered at the time. They needed to get players who were out of contract. The year after then, uh, the year where uh, we got beat in the playoff final, I think there was better players sort of brought in. I know uh, I think Leeds paid quite a quite a bit of money for um, Sean Derry at the time from Crystal Palace. So there's a better standard of sort of player, which again, Rob Hulse come in. Um, I think Robbie Blake came in from Burnley. We had maybe Ian Moore from Burnley. We had Jonathan Douglas on loan from uh, Blackburn. We had Liam Miller on loan from uh, Man United. So I think there was a better calibre caliber of player, which then gave us a better opportunity of being in and around. Um, I can't remember who got promoted. I think it was maybe Sheffield United and whoever was in the top two. We we were in the playoffs where we ended up playing Preston uh, in the semi-finals uh, and then beating them to get the final. But recruitment that year was probably better. Um, we probably played with probably a wee bit more of a swagger. The players had had the pre-season together, certainly had the, uh, you know, an improved pre-season where I got a, you know, a hell of a lot fitter. Um, 
and again, you know, I'm trying to think some of the other some some of the other boys have been there in and around. I think Seth Johnson was still in and around. Eric Back was back playing. Gary Kelly, who was absolutely brilliant, and again, um, I love Kells. Again, his his enthusiasm, his hunger. He had been at Leeds United the longest, so he certainly had seen uh, the ups and downs of Leeds over the you know his time at the football club. But he was more than helpful to the new players coming in, I include myself in that. Somebody from Ireland, somebody from Northern Ireland coming in, and being helpful. So I think there was a good there was a good group of players there. There was mixed experience. Some of the younger players. Um, Aaron Leonard had left previously to go to. Did he go to Tottenham? Uh, early yeah, River. Um, with Matthew Kilgallen, a uh, young lad, um, Fraser Richardson. Uh, again, some of the younger players were sort of Simon Walton. Some of the younger players in and around. So there was a there was a good core core, core group of some of the younger players, more experienced players, players like myself who have been brought in, Sean Derry, Sean Gregan, to try and help uh, along the way. So the disappointing thing is we did have the squad that got promoted that year. Uh, when you look back on with the experience and the players and the quality we had, uh, to lose in the final, uh, we should never have done that. We should have got promoted that year. And as well as obviously playing for Leeds, at that start of that 2005-06 season, your national side, Northern Ireland, were competing in the World Cup qualifiers and in September 2005, you and the rest of the Northern Ireland side played against England at Windsor Park. And like you did quite often that season, you scored in that game. And not only was it the winning goal against England, which were huge favourites, it helped Northern Ireland beat England for the first time since 1972. So just to take you back a bit, what can you remember about that game, David? And how proud did it feel to get that win for your country, given that it had been 30 years since Northern Ireland had beaten England and you know how much that goal meant. Um, huge for me personally because, again, I loved the challenge of playing for Northern Ireland. I knew we were always up against it no matter uh, what team we played, even if we played one of the weaker nations in European football. It was always a tough game for ourselves. But to beat England because uh, we were basically laughed off the pitch when we played England in the first game we played them at Old Trafford and we were beat 4-0 I think we got to half time we thought we we thought we had basically done enough to get the result we went down in the second half and I think we were 3-0 down by the time 51 minutes came around so we took our eye off it so to get the opportunity at Windsor the uh, Windsor Park the, the, the crowd were up for it uh, we were getting the mickey taken out of us all you Scotland in disguise when we were getting the run around uh, at Old Trafford um, so the the beat England, you know the the type of players that they had, uh, the quality of players, the Rooney's, the Beckham's, the Owens, the Ferdinands, you know they were all playing that night. Lampard's, Gerrard's. So they for us to sort of beat them, uh, it sort of gave me, you know, a huge lift. Uh, I always remember after the game that Sam Ellis, the assistant manager, after the game, I wasn't due to be back in um, to Thor Barge until the Friday. Normally the internationals at the time. You played on the Wednesday night and you got the Thursday off to report back in uh, for the Friday. Uh, Sam Ellis was straight on the phone after the England game. I think he, I, I think in his, his miserable voice when he was ringing me, I think he's, he must have somehow congratulated me on scoring and beating England. But he says, by the way, you need to be on the first flight uh, out to Manchester or out to Leeds in the morning because we have a lot of press torturing uh, us at the minute. And we want to get this out of the way because we were playing Brighton three days later uh, at Elms Road. So Sam had basically rang me 
confronted me. Don't be going out for a beer. Don't be thinking you're, you're, you're on the party. You, you haven't scored for Leeds for a couple of games. You need to be back fresh and ready. And to be honest, again, at times when some of the players were away for international games, uh, sometimes more often than not, it was an easy excuse then for Kevin Blackwell or the managers to sort of leave you out of the Saturday game. But he made it, again, abundantly clear that Sam wanted me back in. I had to come and do the press, get this uh, get this rubbish press out of the way, Northern Ireland v England, and let's get down to serious business, Leeds against Brighton. So thankfully, uh, I didn't train on the first day. I went back. I'd done a couple of interviews at Thor Barge. I was sent home. I think Sam was just checking to see that I wasn't out having a few beers with the rest of the Northern Ireland boys. And thankfully for me, I scored a couple of goals against Brighton on the uh, on the Saturday on my return because it was a wee bit of hype. The the old championship when it was on the ITV, there was a wee bit of hype. Uh, and thankfully, I scored a couple of goals. I probably should have scored about five. I missed three guilt edge chances, which probably, probably, thankfully, nobody's probably got footage of. But I scored two goals, and people were saying, "Well, at least his mind was back on scoring a few goals for his club on the Saturday." <laughs> But I did win, but I did miss three. Thankfully, I don't know whether anybody and uh, anybody listening, I don't want to see any of the footage of my missed chances that day. <laughs> oh, I'm sure people have it hide, hidden away somewhere. That season, Leeds won 26 games in the championship, which was almost double the amount of the previous season. And yeah. as a result, the side finished fifth in the league, which meant that the side finished in the playoff places, of course. But one of them 26 wins that season was a 4-3 win against Southampton at St Mary's, with Southampton 3-0 ahead with just 20 minutes of the game remaining. But Leeds pulled four goals back, including a penalty from yourself to make it 3-3, to record a famous away win. But what can you remember about that win at Southampton? And what did it show about that Leeds United side to be able to pull back four goals to get the win when the game seemed over? It's one of them games that, again, if you see, you very rarely see a game like that. We were so far off the pace. Um, I was on the bench, thankfully, uh, for, uh, I think I must have come on in 60, 65 minutes when we were getting beat 3-0. So, again, uh, hopefully I helped turn the game around when I come on as a sub uh, because we were so poor. And, again, I can always remember it was such a long journey down uh, the Southampton you get down and you're underperforming, you're 3-0 down. And we felt at the time as if, as I kept saying, this was going to be our year. We were going to get promoted. Southampton were a good side. I think they had previously been in and around the Premier League, so they had good players. I think Jamie Redknapp was possibly playing and Quasi and Danny Higginbottom and I think Andy Niemi and goals. So I always remember 3-0 down, we're thinking, well, this is going to be a fun journey back. Uh, so we get back and I think Paul Butler if I remember correctly Paul Butler probably got the first goal um, I don't remember who got the second goal uh, I got the equaliser and a penalty uh, and then uh, again I know obviously Leeds fans and whatever else a good friend of mine Liam Miller uh, who sadly passed away in the last number of years with cancer I used to drive We, we I lived in Manchester at the time Liam lived in Manchester so we were driving together at the time. Uh, and again, what I do look back at, not only the result that day and the performance, uh, the supporters that day, you know, 3-0 down, you know, they're probably sort of thinking, again, like we were thinking, what a what an absolute waste of a journey. And I would imagine there may even have been a few who left the ground that day, um, despondent in the performance and the result. 
Um, but when you looked at the uh, the celebrations at the end, when we started getting one back, you got the, you got the second one back, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're you're thinking there may just be a little bit of hope here. Um, and then you get the equalise, and you're sort of thinking, wow, we're out of jail here. You know, however late, you know, I got the penalty and the equaliser, and then Liam Miller scores a goal, which again, you know, some of the games that you play in for for clubs and international. Um, you're trying vividly and you can't remember the lot of it. But I always remember the supporters that day. They were basically on the, you know, the pitch at St Mary's. Uh, we were kicking hoardings, the sponsors and whatever else. And whatever Leeds fans had actually left, uh, maybe they were just outside having a smoke or a drink or basically I'm not going to watch that crap at the time. But when we actually got the equaliser and the fourth goal to make it the winner, uh, they looked as if there was double the amount of Leeds support somehow. That somehow got themselves back in, or somehow that that maybe sort of got themselves back in from the toilet where they were watching and hiding from. And when we actually got the third and the fourth goal, it actually looked as if not only was there a big crowd there, there was more. Somehow there was more Leeds fans. Maybe it was the ones who had no tickets outside and couldn't get in. Had maybe <laughs> sort of, had maybe somehow could find their way into the ground. But it was a, a an incredible day, incredible atmosphere, and one again. You know, when I look back on, you know. I always look back fondly and sort of remember sort of, you know, Liam Miller scoring the winner that day and sort of, you know, the, uh, the outcome if Liam hadn't scored, but it would have been so much different. And that brings an end to section one of episode 28. Join us next week for section two, where David speaks about Leeds' playoff final against Watford and how the side went from the brink of promotion back to the Premier League to relegation to League One for the first time in Leeds' history, with David captaining the side in the game which saw Leeds relegated to the third tier. Thanks for listening.